Thanks for joining us this week. I know you're going to get a lot out of this conversation that I have with my friend, Coach Rev Lee, who is an end-of-life counselor for the clients that she supports and for the people who support them. She provides services to first responders, to the people who walk that journey of death with the people that they serve from chaplains to funeral directors, as well as the families of those going through the process. She has some powerful perspectives, a beautiful, joyful heart, and a sense of humor. And if you've ever struggled to have this conversation or think about this process for yourself, I encourage you to listen in. Thanks for joining us. Living in a stressful world doesn't mean you have to give up on happiness. Instead, you can shift your perspective of stress and discover how to live your life in flow. Welcome to Happified. I'm your host, Susie Vine. Join me for inspiration and interviews with folks who are shining their light in the world in the areas of positive mindset, health, and wellness. I'm so happy to have you here. Let me ask you a question. How do you answer when stress calls? It comes in on lots of different channels these days, sometimes as white noise and sometimes with bells and whistles blaring. You may try to power through, working harder and pushing yourself to the limit in the hopes that doing all you can will be enough to get you through. Stress can feel heavy, ominous and maybe hiding inside of any new email or notification on your computer. What if, instead, you see stress as an opportunity to rise and thrive? What if stress not only strengthens you, but fuels your success? It's not a dream, and it's not a secret that's exclusive to the power players. If you shift your perspective, you can empower yourself to enjoy a radical shift in how you show up to stress and how stress shows up in your life. Want to learn more? I have a special report for you that shares some tools you can easily incorporate to start putting stress to work for you. It's available for free at happifiedlife.com. Click on the gift button to pick up your report today. Welcome back. I am so happy to have you with us this week as I welcome Lee Atherton to join me today. Coach Rev Lee, she's a woman of many, many talents. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation as we dive into the depth and breadth of her work. Lee is a first responder chaplain and an end of life grief and resilience coach with over 15 years of experience. Her passions are to help people live their dying by discovering the beauty in the process and the gifts to be found. To journey with people through the white waters of grief, navigating the chaos until they reach the tranquil pool of stillness. And recognizing the demands of chaplains, clergy, funeral directors, and first responders who serve during life's ending to offer programs and support to enhance their own resiliency. So you can already see we've got plenty of things we could choose to talk about today. Lee, I'm so glad you made time to join us. Thank you. 
Oh, thank you, Susie. Wonderful to be invited here. Thank you. And so you are a reverend as well as a coach and your specialty is resilient. So what, and life is always kind of a winding path, but how did you come to be in this, this place of your specialty? Mm. So it started, I, I would say it started way back when I was feeling that God wanted me to be a clergy person and someone I met along the way thought I should be a hospice chaplain. And I said, yeah, no, thanks. Um, <laughs> so you started out where a lot of us do death. No, I'm not comfortable with that. Right. Yeah. Um, time went by, she needed someone to cover an extended vacation and I was out of work. So, uh, yeah, I filled in and fell in love with hospice work. So that's where, where the end of life and the grief coaching come in. Um, I was also doing life coaching at the time. And so there was a part of the dichotomy of end of life and creating life. Uh, so that, that has always just sort of informed what I do. I've also always been someone who looks behind the scenes and whoever's working the hardest, what do you need that other people aren't noticing <laughs> and trying to, trying to fill in for that. So caring for the caregiver has always been huge for me. Mm -hmm. And it's that piece that brought me toward resilience, watching all these other people who give so much of themselves and are always on, mm -hmm. right? If you're having a bad day, you can't be a funeral director and show up with a grumpy face. Um, so how do you do that? How do you be your best self so that you can continue to fill? We're all called and there's a passion that brought us to this work that we do. How do you keep that passion alive? Mm, that is... I mm, so many good things are going to come out of this conversation. Yes, <laughs> because um, burnout is a real struggle. And when we identify powerfully with the work that we do, especially in this kind of work where you're supporting people moving through their own process of grief and loss or reckoning with their own illness and passing, that's a really, really demanding, like it's, it's hard not to feel that deeply. And we need our people in those positions to have access to those tools to build their own resilience because it's such important work. And we all deserve to have a bad day. We all deserve to have that opportunity to rest and recover. So learning that balance is I'm sure part of what you help guide them to discover. Um, but yeah, that resilience is, is priceless. We've all got to have it, um, whether or not we're in that kind of role. It's such an essential thing that some of us are born with it, but it's definitely a tool that can be built and honed. It absolutely is. And I think that's important for people to know is it's not something that you're either born with or without, but wherever you are when you're born, it's, uh, I call it building your muscles, strengthening your muscles. Right. Yeah. And the, and part of the resilience that I, I teach about is you mentioned, we all deserve to have a bad day and take a nap or whatever. Right. But often in these roles, 
we're called on in a moment's notice. That's true. So even if you're having a bad day, you have no choice. You can't say, oh, I just had a, I just was sobbing. So give me an hour while I look more pretty. <laughs> I just laid down for this nap. Let me call you back in 45. Nope. Your shoes are already on by the time you're off the phone. Right. Right. Yes. And so how do we keep on no matter what's going on in our life? How do we show up as that professional who's called to serve? Mm. Mm. And so, um, what do you see or where do people tend to be when they come to you or when you see the opportunity to start this conversation? Are there some ways in which people struggle with resilience that you kind of see any commonality? Hmm. Um, the commonality, I think, is in what we in the field call the helping professions. Uh, and, and so my connection with being a clergy person, all of us certainly are the helping kind. Um, and I find those people through the work I do within my denomination. Um, first responders, I'm a first responder chaplain. So being there at all times, I'm always talking about resilience and offering them some of the training that I do. Uh, same with the funeral directors. I've got some local ones that I'm their go-to person. And so a lot of it in that realm is word of mouth. Uh, and then certainly the resilience flows over into end of life and grief. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I love that you bring this um, breadth of your own experience and training, you know, through your clerical studies and experience, and then the life coaching piece that I think beautifully complements. And I mean, I, I was raised in the Methodist church. I think most ministers or reverends, whether or not they're formally trained, coaching is a big, big part of it. If you have a connection with the people in your congregation, you're having conversations that are that are pivotal in people's life experience, right? right? When it comes right. to establishing relationships, building their families as their families change. So um, I find this fascinating. And, and I, I know a little bit of this, the part of the story. So I'd love for you to share. You were not someone who initially knew that you were called to this sort of work, at least in terms of entering the clergy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I was, um, hmm. I was going to say I was merely a secretary, but I, I want to put a caveat there. And I say merely because I had the message growing up that that was all I would ever amount to, but the secretary, I don't even call them secretaries anymore. They, what any secretary that I have is my right hand person, um, most of us would not be where we are today if we didn't have them. So um, lots yeah, of talk about having the finger on the pulse, certainly. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, so I became a church secretary. And again, mom's influence. Um, she, even though I was an adult, still had uh, her say. And uh, if you know what's good for you, you'll take this job. So 
needless to say, I took the job, came into it as a mom of three kids who knew it was the right thing to raise her kids in the church. Um, not because I had any deep faith or anything at the, at the time. The pastor of the church and I started within a day of each other. So we really got to know each other well and created systems and such. Uh, and, and just a, a great connection. And he was the first person who ever told me, you can be and do anything you want. Mm. And so that started to open my eyes. And between that and my faith really growing roots, um, in the in the years that I, I served at that church, this was powerful, powerful. And I outgrew the job, it was just a small church. And long story short, found myself in another position doing God's work, but still as an administrator, an office administrator. Um, when I gave my notice to the board of deacons, ah, this gentleman, Harold Buickerud, I will never forget him, jumped up out of his seat, ran across the room, gave me a great big hug and said, I am so glad that you're finally going to go to seminary. You're going to make a perfect chaplain. I mean, uh, minister. I didn't say I was doing that. I said I was going to be an office person. But that... <laughs> <laughs> he definitely saw something that I wasn't seeing. Mm. And in the, in the time that followed that, just other people affirming that, um, I said, all right, you know, I heard God knocking on my heart and um, yeah, it was pretty powerful. Pretty powerful. I love that. I'm so glad you shared that story because I think that left to our own devices, our own resistance you know, and lack of belief in ourselves can really hold us back. And so sometimes we need a mirror to reflect, oh, you can absolutely do this. Oh, this is perfect for you. Oh, of course, this has been waiting for you all along. Now you're ready. Yeah. Right? And it's extraordinary when, when that power comes together and moves you forward. And so like, like I said, you know, we, we don't have a linear path per se, but I do believe we are led to be exactly where we are meant to. And then everything that we've experienced informs what we can share with the people we get to support now. I agree. And I, I incorporate that, you use the word a mirror to yourself, and I incorporate that into being resilient, surround yourself with people who care about you, who support you, and who can remind you of who you really are. Oh, that's so powerful. Thank you. Who remind you who you really are, who support you, who, who can see that when we lose that faith in ourselves. Yes. Because resilience doesn't come from a vacuum. You, you don't live a life of Zen, of blissful balance, and come out a resilient spirit unless right. you're innately born with it. Odds are not in that favor. So we, we develop that. It's like a muscle. We build that skill. It's tested by fire, but we always have that to, to carry forward with us. Yes. Mm. So um, in my own life and the people who, when I was ready to give up on one thing or another, 
and the people who were there saying, you matter, you count, or you can do this, um, makes such a huge difference and remind you of the, the inner strength and courage and resilience that you've got to overcome and succeed. Yeah, we need those cheerleaders. And personally, yeah. I love getting to be that cheerleader for other people too. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that in you. <laughs> Let me shake off my pom-poms here. <laughs> so um, in your experience, in, in your work with resilience, um, what are some signs that people can look for? Or how, how can people recognize if they are resilient or, you know, how can they look to, to be building that for themselves? Hmm. The sign of resilience, and, uh, and again, I'm going to use the group of people who I tend to work best with. The signs of it are doing the challenging, difficult work. And at, sometimes it's just day-to-day -day work. But we're often also called into the midst of trauma and chaos and overwhelm. And the sign of being resilient is when you can do that over and over again. But it's not easy to do it over and over and over again. And that's where um, you need to bring in the tools. You need to learn what works for you to keep going back there again and again. And although there are a lot of common tools, it's different for everyone. So self-care is definitely one of them. And that Zen garden, ah, for some that is heaven on earth. But there are gonna be some people who say, are you kidding me? So it's not just saying, yeah, self-care, I should be doing that. I should go get a massage or whatever else. But what is, what turns you on? What do you really enjoy doing in life? And oh, by the way, when's the last time you did it? That's right. <laughs> That's a piece of it. <laughs> um, it's it's learning, learning about yourself. Um, what makes you tick? What are your what are your hot buttons? Because when we're aware of those hot buttons, we can better manage when they're being pushed. And a lot of it is um, thinking ahead of time. So I use the term prosilience, being proactive. Mm, I being like prosilience. Isn't that a neat word? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So don't wait until the trauma or the crisis comes, but plan ahead of time and we all have our world turns upside down at some point in our life so it is important having the community around you so we talk about um who are your 2 amers who are those people that you can call on no matter when right and I, I use uh, the image of a circle of people around you. You have a bunch of people around you that you can pick and choose that you kind of know, or yeah, I can call so-and-so when I'm having a bad day, whatever. 
but who are those people closest to you? Who are the ones that are right there around you who know you well, know what you need when you're in that midst? Stand in the middle of that circle. They have to be close enough together so that, and we've all seen it, that trust circle, to mm -hmm. close your eyes and fall back. Who are those people that you have in that tight circle? And if you don't have them, and, and my course takes time, takes the whole six weeks to who are they? Who should they be? How do you nurture that? So that when that time comes, you can fall and know that you're going to be caught. Mm, and so the underlying theme here that I'm seeing in, in your practice of prosilience is recognizing that life happens. We're going to need support. And so rather than pretending it's all going to be fine until we're <laughs> up to here, up to our neck in it, what can we do to make sure we have this in place? Who is in our inner circle? What helps us feel nourished and restored? Because self-care is unique to everyone. If you're right. tired of the pitches of self-care because it's become kind of a marketing ploy, well, then that just means that you like something else, right? But it takes that self-exploration to find it. It does. And yeah, so to your point, you know, understanding what helps us feel happy, where we get our strength from having that toolkit already ready is so important because boy, when you're in a situation, that's all you can deal with. You can't be putting together your resources at that point. That's absolutely right. And then after that situation, what do you do with the residual? the images, the thoughts, the feelings, mm -hmm. um, so that you can go do it again. Because if we don't have that, that post-zillions, just made that one up. <laughs> it's all going <laughs> to pile and pile and pile and pile yes. until we're drowning and we're burned out. Right. And people in professional roles, such as clergy, first responders, chaplains, get training and understand that they have to have this tool planned as well. But I'm thinking of the caregivers at home, you know, when suddenly you need to take care of your spouse, or if you have a child that has special needs and you are just put in this role and accept it, you know, expect it to step up and fill it. My right. heart breaks for caregivers who don't have the kind of understanding or support or just don't even, even understand where they can reach out to find it because there are resources available. But again, once you're in the thick of that situation, do you even have the energy or wherewithal to look for it? Exactly. And the answer to that is mostly no. And so they suffer and they reach difficult places, burnout and more for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Caregiver fatigue is definitely real. And, and in my experience working with the senior community, I was aware that in many cases, in those situations where a spouse becomes a caregiver for their partner through that process of caring for their loved one, they tend to put their well-being last, and then they tend to suffer illness. And then 
who's there to take care of, right? That initial person that yeah. needs the support, they both need it. And, yes. and so mm, yeah. this recognition is important. And so, and I think too, a lot of people avoid conversations like this. What happens if someone is sick and I can't take care of myself? Or what happens mm. if I pass away, right? What resources do you have in place? How do we... Do you have any tips? I'm going a little off book here, but do you have any tips for people to look somewhere and find resources to understand having this conversation? Yes, I do. In fact, that's another big piece of what I do. Um, I started years ago just uh, facilitating a conversation about something called the five wishes. Mm -hmm. And that is a legal document for planning for end of life. And it's so much more than just a will or your medical choices. Um, it's the choices about where do you wanna die? Who do you want to make the healthcare decisions for you and other decisions? Um, what kind of medical treatment do you want? Uh, how comfortable do you wanna be? How do you want people to treat you? Who do you want? to be around you? Um, what do you want your family to know? So there's so many more questions that, than just those right. that we traditionally think about. And I really encourage people to start the conversation early um, at whatever age. You're never too young to start the conversation because you don't know when some crisis is gonna hit that brings you much closer to that than you ever thought would be the case. Um, so there are a lot of resources for that. There's, there is the five wishes document that people can find. I also offer a, a workshop and a course on how do I start thinking about these questions and what is my answer? How do I figure out what my answer is? Um, I use an example of a woman who, uh, who I talked to and talking about her level of pain. Mm -hmm. um, she was a Roman Catholic woman and her response was, don't give me any pain medication. My Jesus died on the, suffered and died for me. It's the least I can do to suffer for him. And then there are people who, give me whatever I need. I don't want any pain at all. That's not something you want to think about in the midst of being rushed into the ER. Right. 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 Um, there are so many questions like that. And then of course there are tools and resources. You can find anything on Amazon. Um, and there are cards that I, I always use <laughs> called the go wish cards that just ask some questions and get you thinking. Oh, I'm making note of those. The go wish yes. cards. Go wish. Uh, and then how, you know, it's more than just making the choices, but having the conversations so people know what those wishes are. And there are lots of resources for that. There's, um, I keep saying I'm going to start one of these and I, I will, uh, the death cafe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love this concept. 
Yeah. Where you go and just hang out with people and very informally talk about death. And sometimes it's starting that conversation with a stranger that opens the door to the possibility of having the conversation with your loved ones. Because it's not an easy conversation to have. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I think what I'm picking up out of what you're saying too, I mean, there's a lot here and I'm so glad it's recorded. People can come back and listen again, um, <laughs> is that it's something you have to start with taking a look at for yourself. And then you have to find a way to bring your family or loved ones into the conversation. Step one can be very difficult. Step two yeah. can be even more so. Um, and not to be irreverent, but none of us are getting out of this alive. <laughs> exactly. We have to be able to take it out. I want to know this. this. Sure. <laughs> and so I think I think it's really important. Um, if only because with that recognition and awareness, we stop wasting our time and make the most of the gift that is in each day. Yes. Yes. And you know, I'll tell you something, Susie, I, I've worked with so many families whose loved one has died. And I have never once heard anyone say, I'm so angry. They thought about this ahead of time. <laughs> right. It's, it's always, and even to the point of planning a funeral, what do you want your own funeral to look like? Those family members have always said, Oh, I'm so glad this was the best gift she could have given us. Now I know what dad wants and what he doesn't want. And I don't have to make those decisions. Oh my gosh. In that situation, I mean, I've seen people struggle through that. It's devastating. And At the time at which heart. you deserve that opportunity to just work through your own grief and loss to have to show up and be answering. And yeah, that's utterly overwhelming. Not yep. a situation we want our loved ones to be in. Exactly. And, exactly. and, and again, circling back around to, to our first topic, you know, the people who are on the other side of the table who, you know, are grateful for the times when they have the conversations, when here's what's been decided, here's what we've already planned here are the times, <laughs> you know, yes. something yep. that can be as straightforward as that is easier on them as well. Not that, you know, you're thinking of their well-being when it's your loved one who has passed. Um, but again, just in terms of, of recognizing the, the ripple effects, right? You know, everything we do has an impact that's greater than we are. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it is a special calling. Um, to people who can work in hospice, to work with those life transitions and hold that space. That's a powerful um, ability, skill that's acquired, but also a grace that I think certain people yes. are born with. Yes. Yep. I definitely couldn't do it without God's grace showering on me. Yeah. We need something more than ourselves. <laughs> hmm. We just, we already talked about some resources. Are there any others that you find beneficial or like to point people to in terms of navigating grief or loss or, or just building resilience? We talked about some practices and self-awareness. 
Are there right. some other tools that you love? There are. I, I think um, in terms of when people are in grief, it can be really helpful to reach out to um, someone who knows and understands grief uh, and who, who focuses, specializes in that area. It doesn't have to be a therapist or a counselor. That's not what I'm saying. But I know for my own self, with this being a main focus of my ministry, I have gleaned and used and refined so many tools and resources in many different situations. Do you have young children in your life? How do you talk to your children? You know, there are great books on that. Or we're all disagreeing about what to do with mom's ashes. How do you have those conversations? Going to someone who's been through it and who knows um, can save a lot of heartache, a lot of um, guilt and pain, and just make the, the, the journey, I, ca I call grief, the journey, riding the white waters, <laughs> right? I can make that a whole lot easier. And don't be afraid to reach out. Um, look online. Be kind to yourself because we get overwhelmed and just can't function during grief at times. And that's okay. Be patient, be kind. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I have a, a client right now who um, a member of her family is in hospice. And so um, their partner then has access to, to grief counseling before they've lost their spouse, which I think is deeply powerful too. So yes. in another, just another example of don't wait until you need that resource to be relying on it. If there's any inclination, if there's an indication that this is a change that's coming, it's so supportive to get that help in advance. Right. Yes. And a person who becomes a hospice patient is going to have that resource offered to their family. But unfortunately, too often, people don't realize that they, that hospice is an option as soon as it is. Um, right. And so they don't have that support. How do we navigate this? How do we, how do I, if I'm the one who's dying, take this time that's left and make the most out of it? And what does that mean to me? Um, well, we don't think about that. You know, if you were told today that Next Tuesday at four o'clock was going to be the end of your life. <laughs> um, do you know what? Often we don't, and we work in a bubble, right? And it's helpful to have a conversation with someone, a family member, a loved one, a good friend, but even someone outside of that sphere. Because you know what? It's hard stuff to talk about. And a lot of people are going to protect those people who care about them and not share openly and honestly and fully. Um, and then their loved ones. What do I want to make sure that my sister knows before she dies? I want to make sure that she knows how much I love her. And oh, gee, I haven't said that to her in years. <laughs> so, so many pieces. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think the, the, the benefits of having that awareness and, you know, whatever it takes, whether it's just listening to this or a different life experience that says, yes, waiting mm-hmm. isn't doing me any justice or anyone else that I love. So carpe the diem. <laughs> yes. Yes. Beautiful. I, I love your breadth of experience um, and the relatability, your sense of humor throughout. I think it really shines a light on the fact that, you know, we can make things big and scary and threatening and avoid them. And if we just get present and open ourselves to opportunities and resources, that big, scary thing that we're putting off is very easy to take, to tackle. And then what else can we conquer too while we're at it? Right. Yeah. Yep. And it doesn't have to be one big giant step or one big gulp. When we start thinking about it ahead of time, we can take our time to think about a DNR, for example, There's so much that goes into figuring that out that you can't decide that in one night, right? But if you start long ahead, you can start thinking about it and, all right, I've had enough. I need to put this away for right now and come Mm -hmm. back to it. Mm -hmm. It's a gift for yourself as well. It is. It is. And thank you for that because it, it can be a process of warming up to it or accepting it. You know, it's not just flipping a switch and saying, okay, well, we've all got to do it. So I'll just get it all handled in the next three days or something, but giving ourselves that grace to say, all right, I'm just going to start the process. I'm going to take a look at what I can do to support myself and my family. Exactly. Yeah. And so you have to share a special little ebook, um, I love this. Don't let the well run dry. Tell us a little bit about this ebook that folks can collect from you. Ah, um, it is, it's a short book and it's got um, quotes and reflections and words of encouragement so that you don't, you know, I think of the well Uh, You pull up the pail of water and you give it, pull up the pail of water and you give it. And if you don't find a way to fill that well back up, you're not going to give anymore. So um, ideas and thoughts, things to think about. So that that prosilience piece, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I'd like to also if I can throw this in there, um, because we did talk about grief. I also have a grief journal, an ebook grief journal that I would love your listeners to have access to. We'll grab that link from you as well, because I know that's, yeah, especially always, that's always something that's powerful to have access to, certainly. I mean, yeah. life happens. It does. And your both of them, um, I love that it's a grief journal and your um, daily wisdoms in the Don't Let the Well Run Dry book. It really strikes me as an opportunity for, you know, something to spark meditation or again, a journaling prompt, something that, because journaling is so powerful. It's such a terrific tool for self-reflection and for kind of burning through the mental chatter and getting to what's underneath of that. We don't often give ourselves that space 
to look a little more deeply. We settle for that surface noise and mm -hmm. really what's percolating underneath is what we really need to be able to sit right. with. Yeah. And when I talk to people about journaling, um, there's, there's a whole process for sure. If you want to get into it of being this mindset, just let your thoughts go and all of that. But I think it's important for people to know that journaling doesn't have to be all of that as well. Um, take one of the questions from the grief journal and let that be what you ponder on your ride to work. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a big project that you don't know how to do. Yes, I love that. And, and it's, everything it's, in between. And everything in between. It's wonderful to have these little seeds. Just plant this right. little seed and see if it stays with you through the day. It might come back to you a couple of days later. But when the time is right, yep, it'll root. That is, yes, it. it will. Thank you so much. You're very kind. We'll have links for these two resources in the show notes. Is there anything else you'd love to share while we're together today? Hmm. Just whoever you are and wherever you are on life's journey, you matter and you count. And so take care of yourself and be kind to yourself and never hesitate to ask for what you need. Hmm. Thank you for that. Yeah, we should never underestimate what we bring to the lives of those who are around us. Some of us have a big calling. Some of us might be a first responder or a chaplain and touch countless lives. And some of us, the ripples are not known to us, but everyone yes. matters. Yes. That secretary I told you about who was told that's all she'd be after I, in that time when I was Am I really being called? I got word that someone stopped in the office and the pastor wasn't there. And I just had a conversation. It wasn't any big deal to me. And I learned later that that conversation saved her life. She was considering suicide. So you're right. You never know what impact you're making, what difference you make. Hmm. Thank you for shining your light in the world, Lee. It is such a blessing to know you. I'm so grateful oh, to be collaborating with you on some projects that are coming together. So yes. we'll probably have another show in the future. Um, <laughs> but thanks everybody for tuning in too. I hope that um, whatever message comes to you today serves you and um, definitely worth a listen again, because there's a lot of good stuff in here. So thank you, Lee, so much. Oh, and thank you. Very much. Yes. Take good care of yourself. You too. Bye, friends. Thank you for tuning in today. Check out the show notes for any links we mentioned. To learn more about living life with less stress and more flow, visit happifiedlife.com. And if you found value in today's episode, make sure you subscribe to catch the next one and leave a review to help fellow pod surfers find Happified. Until next time, keep on shining. <laughs>